Born in 1592 in the Highlands of Scotland, and he is still alive. He is immortal. Constantly facing other immortals in combat to the death, the winner takes his enemy's head. And with it, his power. We know the truth about immortals. In the end, there can be only one. May it be Duncan MacLeod, the Highlander. And welcome into Let's Watch Highlander. This is Let's Watch Highlander, Season 5, Episode 11, Comes a Horseman. And here to talk with you, as we are every week, I am Travis, a.k.a. TV's Travis. And over there, that's the Audie Norman. Audie, how you doing? Doing all right, man. Um, Coming off of uh, fall break and having the boys for like 10 or 12 days straight, they went back to school, and that was... That was very nice, especially <laughs> after getting my flu shot and COVID booster. It was nice to not have anybody in the house when I was just <laughs> laid out on the bed. You just so. get to be a you just get to be a lump for a little while without mm-hmm. without the young ones. That's good. That's good. You timed that out well. Um, I know. And just when Georgia was getting some actual cold weather, it made snuggling in the bed that much better. Oh man, I tell me, I I have had trouble getting out of bed the last few days because it started getting cold mm-hmm. here. And so when it gets cold here, it drops down into the 40s and the 30s. Where I live in Michigan, you growing up, you always had to plan your Halloween costume around wearing a snowsuit, just <laughs> just in case. Mm-hmm. Um, but it has been difficult to get out of bed in the morning because I'm just like, I'm yeah. warm and I'm cozy and it's cold out there. But, you know, it is it is what it is. You got to do what you got to do, right? Yep. So, uh, Comes a Horseman, Season 5, Episode 11. This is a doozy. Uh, this is yeah, uh, nice. this is quite the episode, and uh, it's one that I have been waiting to talk about for a while. Um, yeah. After watching it, I was like, this is one I actually remembered. I was yeah. like, I remember this this one and all the different stuff that happened. I was like, oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. This is a, this is a big one, um, and uh, I mean, without further ado, we should jump right into it. So, first, Heck yeah. there's a Watcher Chronicle. Got to listen to that. Yep. Yeah, we do. February 3rd, 1997. Dawson asked me to dig up anything I could find on Melvin Corrin. Apparently, he crossed paths with McLeod about 130 years ago, but he might be a lot older than that. He might have been part of a band of raiders from as far back as the Bronze Age. He called them the Four Horsemen, and that the myth of them may actually be real. I guess it kind of makes sense in a way. Immortals would be like gods to anyone who doesn't know about them. And most myths and legends have at least some truth to them, after all. So Duncan and Mythos are leaving a TV studio. Uh, Mythos was on like a game <laughs> show or something. I don't know what it was. Duncan's razzing yeah, him about it. Took me a while to get that. Like, <laughs> it was like they a, didn't help themselves out with that one. Yeah, it was like a trivia show or something. I don't know. But Duncan's kind of giving him a hard time, like, hey, somebody could have seen you, you know, you're exposing yourself on TV. Uh, but then it has the great exchange where uh, where he says, yeah, but you lost because Tom Jones didn't popularize the twist. And <laughs> and it's just, it's a great pop culture moment because when you think about it, Mythos has been around forever, but he really doesn't, like, why would he care about pop culture at this point? Right. So mm-hmm. it's it's such a great where he's like, I know how tall Nero was. I know what Caesar's favorite food was. <laughs> that was great. It's so it's so good. Um, this episode it's was like written, okay, Mythos. You just keep name dropping historical figures. Go exactly. For it. This episode was written by David Tynan, and he had a tendency to really write uh, good dialogue with Duncan and Mythos. I, I've noticed. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Um, so they're walking. They're 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 on their way back when they feel an immortal. And both of them feel it. Mythos is kind of like, uh, are you expecting anybody? Like, maybe it's a friend of Duncan's mm-hmm. or something. Duncan says, no. So Mythos does the mythos, mythos thing. I'm out. And he's... Yep. But Duncan wants to find out who it is. Because, I mean, that's Duncan's way. He he has to know. Well, he had the great line about it. Like, I like to know who's around. Yep. <laughs> it's like, yep. So he follows, uh, follows towards like a warehouse or something. And he sees a man with a scar going down the right side of his face and he recognizes mm-hmm. him and as soon as he recognizes him flashback 
So the guy's name is Melvin Corrin. Um, okay. And Mac had uh, a run-in with him in the past. So they sort of, they lock eyes and, and Corrin, through the mist and the, the steam that's going on in this building, whatever's going on, he, he just says, uh, you know, oh, it's been a long time, Highlander, and then, and then disappears. Mm-hmm. And so Duncan, of course, pulls a sword, starts looking around, feels an immortal again, thinks he's close, swings a sword around a corner, and it's not Corrin. It's Cassandra. Nope. Yeah. She's back. Yep. We haven't seen since the beginning of the season, but uh, she is back, and she is hunting the same guy. Mm Mm-hmm. So they go back to the loft. It turns out she's even older than McLeod thought she was uh, by quite a bit. Uh, And she tells him that she's hunting corn, or as she knew him, Kronos. Uh, And that Kronos is one of the four horsemen of legend. And then we get another flashback. Mm-hmm. Uh, we find out that uh, the four horsemen had uh, rode over the land and they, they killed the entire tribe that Cassandra was a part of. Basically, her entire world was lost in one day. Yep. Uh, she's tried over the centuries to forget things and move on, but then she found out that one of them was still alive, that Kronos was out there, and so she started hunting him. So they go to Joe's, uh, talk to Joe, find out <laughs> some more. And Joe's just like, what? The... The four horsemen, like from the Bible, he doesn't believe it. He just he thinks of it as a myth, which both does and doesn't make sense, right? Like of anybody right. that they could talk to, Joe would kind of have this idea that you know myths are born out of a little bit of truth, and it would make sense. But at right. the same time, like this is somebody telling him, yeah, that story you read in in the final chapters of the New Testament is like they really existed. That's that's got to be tough to reconcile in your head. So yeah. So uh, so Joe's just like uh, I don't know, but but Cassandra is dead set on it, and even tells him, "Look, I was there. It was the Bronze Age. You don't know." So, <laughs> yeah. I love that exchange too. Yeah, and so Joe's like, "All right, you know what? Fine, I'll see what I can find out." You know. Um. Then we see Mythos, and he's coming out of his apartment building, uh, heading for his car, when he feels an immortal's presence. He's not mm-hmm. sure if it's McLeod or not. And all of a sudden, boom, knife in the chest. And it's Kronos. Yeah, and, it is. And Kronos walks up, greets him as brother. Yup. And then he takes him off to that warehouse where he wakes him up. And he basically says, uh, I want to get the band back together. Um, essentially, is what he, he, he tells Mythos he has a choice. I either take your head or you join me. And we can do what we used to do. So this is our first crack in the the facade of Mythos. Mm-hmm. Um, let's see. So uh, so Mythos, ever the survivor, agrees. All right, fine. I'll join you. Um, I mean, the the other option is Kronos is going to take his head, and Mythos right. knows well enough to know he can't fight him. Right. So and like. Chrono said earlier, he's the survivor, so we know he's going to survive one way or another. Yep. Uh, so we, we cut back to the dojo. Max looking up something, and Mythos heads for the dojo to talk to him. Uh, but before he can even get out much, um, Cassandra comes down the elevator, sees Mythos, sees Red, pulls her sword, and starts to lunge at him. And Mythos is backing away like, what's going I don't know you. <laughs> and Duncan's getting in between it, and then Cassandra tells the story of how she knows Mythos. And we get another mm-hmm. flashback. So, <clears throat> coming out of the flashback, Duncan kind of separates the two, tells, me, tells Mythos to take off. Cassandra waits long enough and then goes after him, but he's gone. And tells Duncan, right. don't get between us again. Your friend is a liar. He was one of the horsemen. He killed. He did everything. He, he rode with Kronos. Duncan can't really fathom that, but... Right. You know, it, it, it. she says that and she leaves. So so Duncan goes back to the bar to talk to Joe. And Joe can't at all buy it. He's like, no way. Yeah. The mythos that we know? Come on. Like, he just doesn't, he doesn't buy it. He can't imagine mythos getting into a fight, let alone riding the land, burning villages to the ground, all this kind of stuff, just slaughtering people. Right. Um, and, uh, Duncan doesn't really think so, but he's like, something just doesn't feel right. Something mm-hmm. doesn't match up. So he's like, I'm going to go find some some information out. 
we go back to Mythos, and he's talking to Kronos again, um, and makes a move on him. tries to tries to stab him from behind, which you know goes about as well as you would expect. Kronos is like, eh, "Come on, man!" Right. It's it's the nonchalant way in which he <laughs> stops him, and like takes his sword away from him. And Mythos now he's like he's trying to explain, "I'm not who we were anymore. That's not me. Right. I've changed." But Kronos won't listen to him. He's like, "No, no, no." No, you're, you've you've tried to change, but you don't you don't lose that. You don't lose what we had. And um, tells him, you know, Cassandra's around, and you never did have the the guts to kill her. I'll do this for you. I will take her head, but you have to kill McLeod for me. So that's his offer now, because Mythos owes him, as he says, mm-hmm. and he has to prove himself. Otherwise, Kronos is just going to kill him. So Mythos agrees. They had to do their little blood pact, slicing their their palms open in the dumb way that you know people do in movies. Yeah. Um, although it's the the one time where it's not completely dumb because immortals heal so quickly. <laughs> so right, that would just. Bzzz. Yep. Uh, so Mythos agrees that he will kill McLeod for Kronos, and Kronos will kill Cassandra for him. That's the the deal that they have made. So <clears throat> we see Mythos heading out. He's uh. Packing up the, the looks like a blazer, uh, heading out mm-hmm. when Duncan arrives. And Duncan presses him on whether or not what Cassandra said was true. And Mythos initially tries to just like play it off, like just leave it alone. You don't want to know. Uh, I don't want to answer your question, blah, blah, blah. Duncan presses and presses. So Mythos gives him an answer. And it's not the answer Duncan was prepared for. Right. At he all. just lays it all out. It is one of the best scenes in the whole of the series, in my opinion, between these two at this moment, because of it's, it reveals so much about mythos. Mythos tells Duncan. Yeah. Yeah, I did it. I killed people. I killed not 50, not a hundred. I killed thousands. I killed tens of thousands and I was good at it. And he's almost gloating talking about, how it wasn't for vengeance, it wasn't for money, he just did it because he liked it. He was the nightmare that parents told their kids. He was death on a horse. And this just shatters Duncan. Like, he just can't, he mm. can't wrap his head around it. And Duncan looks at him and says, that's it, we're through, and walks away. And they kind of have this moment where Duncan's walking back to the T-Bird, Mythos is standing in front of his car, they're looking at each other, Duncan keeps looking back at him like, taking his jacket off and he throws it into the car really hard. Mythos turns around and throws his jacket into his car. <laughs> yeah. It's like the, they just, they have this moment and then Duncan drives off and that's it. Their friendship is over. So Duncan goes back to the loft and Joe is there and they're, they're now trying to talk it out and reconcile mm-hmm. what, what the hell is going on. Duncan cannot condone what Mythos has done. Learning right. this about Mythos, it's, it's breaking his, his view of the man. Joe is trying to understand it, and he sort of mm-hmm. gets parts of it, and he sort of doesn't. Like, he's just trying to wrap his head around it. He brings up his time right. in Vietnam and how, mm-hmm. like, things that happened then, he can't. Uh, so yeah. Duncan does make the distinction, though, that Mythos said he enjoyed what he was doing, and that's what makes it different, that it wasn't just a soldier and it wasn't happenstance that he sought out the death and the killing and the destruction. And that's the line that he can't cross. And while they're having this discussion, Joe gets a phone call. And they know where, where, where Kronos is. And I like that exchange because Duncan's like, I thought you didn't have a watcher on him. And he goes, we don't. We had one on Cassandra. She's on her way there. It's like, oh. So Duncan heads right out. Okay. Yep. So, so Cassandra makes her play on Kronos. She's gonna, she is going to take him out. Uh, she knows where he is. They cross swords. Then she starts to do her magic. And it doesn't affect him. Nope. Uh, which was a cool scene. Mm-hmm. Because they had the whole the, the whole voice effect and all of that, and he just he doesn't react to it at all. And finally he says, Give up. It doesn't it's not gonna do anything for me. And that's it. She has no chance now. Like right. that she is not a good enough fighter without that to take on most anybody, let alone Kronos. And Kronos is getting the upper hand on her, but they get separated. And Mythos appears out of nowhere and knocks her unconscious and carries her off. Yep. Just as Duncan is showing up. 
And <laughs> as Kronos is yelling out for Cassandra, Duncan's like, hey, I'm your Huckleberry. Let's go. Yeah. So they have their fight. Mythos takes Cassandra, gets her out of play, dumps her in the river. Yep. Um, and then as Duncan and Kronos have their final fight, Mythos is there, like, pouring gasoline out and lighting it on fire, tossing Molotov cocktails, all this stuff, and basically creates a situation that separates the two of them. Yep. And He's spoiling the party. Yep. And he uh, pulls the fire alarm and, and ends the fight, so they both end up leaving, with Kronos mm-hmm. looking at Duncan and just saying, I can wait, and takes yeah. off. So <clears throat> Duncan heads back to the loft, and Cassandra's there. She, you know, swam out of the river, went back there. Um, sure. Duncan lets her know, you know, sorry, I didn't get to Kronos. And she's all despondent and like, well, it's never going to end as long as they're alive. And Duncan's like, then we're going to go find him. Mm-hmm. And we see Kronos confront Mythos like, what did you, what were you doing stopping that fight, getting involved the way that you did? And Mythos has the best response to that I thought possible, which was, I couldn't take that risk. That's all he says. Kronos intuits mm-hmm. that is like, oh, you were trying to help Duncan. But he doesn't really play his hand. But Chrono's like, I, I should just kill you right now. And once again, Survivor Mythos is like, yeah, you can do that. But uh, I know where our two buds are. We can get the four horsemen back together. And that's that's all Chronos needs to hear. Yep. So Mythos agrees to take him to Silas and Caspian, the other two that rode with him back in the Bronze Age. And they're going to get the four horsemen back together. To be continued. I shouldn't be surprised you're still alive. You were always the one I counted on. You weren't the strongest or the toughest. But you were the survivor. It's what you do best. So special guests this week, we got a couple. Um, So Cassandra's back. Tracy Scoggins comes back. Um, We last saw her at the beginning of the season. Mm -hmm. And... I like bringing her back instead of having like just random character that shows up. Sure. Um, to because it's a good plot device, right? To to kickstart things, it gives a connection to Duncan. Mm-hmm. Um, but it's also taking a character we've seen once because one of the things we've talked about um, is some of these characters are really interesting, and we only we only get to meet them once. Either they just right. never show up again, or they get killed off. Hmm. So it's cool to bring back a character that didn't get killed off that that also has no like solid narrative reason to be here but now we're going to write one in because right. mortals they got we don't we didn't know how old she was that that was the cool thing is she was an open-ended character to begin with Mhm So I thought that was cool bringing her back. I thought she was good too. Oh yeah. Very um, good. I mean we talked about it before how much she kind of surprised us with how good she was. Mhm. Like, we've seen her in other stuff, but it was really impressive how well she came into this show and just embodied this character, and she did it that much more this episode, for sure. Yeah. Yep, so I, I very much enjoyed that. Um, and, and it's just, it's it's cool to take a character and be like, oh no, she's a lot older than even we thought. And now we get to see that her initial background had almost nothing to do with the witch in the woods that she was before. Mm-hmm. Which is something that this episode is exploring with all sorts of characters that they change and and you know evolve over time, right? But also that she has a little bit of a background in like, like even at her youngest age, she was doing something with like medicine and healing and magic. So mm-hmm. I thought that was really cool. Um, and again, it's just it's fun to bring back a character, and it doesn't have to be like Amanda. Or you don't have to try and shoehorn that in or just have it be some random character that we're meeting for the first time. We have a connection to Cassandra. Right. And it's fun to get a little origin story, like the way they did it. And it doesn't Mm -hmm. have to be all too big and huge, but just like this is where she was when she became immortal. And you're like, oh, okay. Yeah. Yeah, I do often like seeing the stories of how somebody had become an immortal. Like what happened that that caused it, that triggered that immortality. Um. So yeah, it was cool, and and again, I just I like her as Cassandra, and I think Cassandra is a, an interesting character, and she is on the hunt. Like, there is no I'm running from Kronos. She's not a damsel in distress. She's like I'm hunting this dude down. 
I want him dead. Right. I want his family dead. You know, mm-hmm. like he, she's just all about that. Like, and then she sees mm-hmm. Mythos and just flips that switch and goes right after him. Yeah. Um, which now, you know, it's, it's also nice because we have a story that's making us question Mythos. Mm-hmm. So narratively, you need a character that we're going to listen to and believe Right. If she's going to tell Duncan that. Otherwise, why would Duncan listen? Why would Duncan listen to this mm-hmm. person? So now taking a character that he has a history with and a strong history of trusting her. Right. You know, it's a, it's a good way to do that. And, so. and one that we as the audience have a history with too. It's not yep. like, I think it would be less important if it was some random new person, but because it's someone like Cassandra, it's a lot more believable. Yeah, yeah. It, well, not only it's not only Cassandra, but the impact she had on Duncan in that first episode that we got to see. So it's that mm-hmm. double. It's double that, right? Because now it's narratively right. for Duncan, and it's for us as an audience. So it's perfect. Mm-hmm. Uh, and then Valentine Pelka as Kronos. He's fun. Yeah. Oh, he's great. He's chewing it up. He is just. You can tell he is enjoying playing this bad guy, and he's playing mm-hmm. him, hamming it up. Going all out, he's got that great scar that runs down the the right side of his face. Uh, the prosthetic for that looks pretty good. I'm not gonna mm-hmm. lie. Like they even added a little bit uh, on the ridge above his eye that kind of droops just slightly. Like it's a nice touch that yeah. I noticed. Um, but what I liked about him is he just Chronos relishes and loves this this persona that he is and the the power that he has with that. And that's all he wants. That's all he cares yeah. about. And so when we meet him in the first flashback, he's the same. He's essentially the same guy. Like where we have Mythos and Cassandra, and we're getting this whole idea of evolution. Not everybody does that. And mm-hmm. here's Kronos, who has basically been the same dude since the Bronze Age of just right kill and pillage and burn and take anything and Which everything. Is- Interesting later on when he's with Mythos and telling him, like, uh, you know, I've tried to bring other people together to do the same thing we used to do, and it just hasn't worked. And it's interesting that he defines himself that way. It's like, I'm all about getting power. Other people were useless compared to the horsemen. Yep. So it's an interesting nugget there. And I've got to say this. When they said his name was Melvin Corrin Mm -hmm. in the first flashback... I'm sorry. I watched a lot of um uh what is it? Oh, what can it, uh, Martin and Lewis. Oh, okay. And they had a running gag with that name. And so anytime <laughs> I hear that name, it loses any sense of anything but Melvin. Melvin. Melvin so, is Melvin is a funny name. I will admit that. So when they showed his name as Melvin, I was like, "Okay, I'm glad they stick to Corin and just Kronos the rest of the episode." What was funny to me was the different ways that uh, that Adrian Paul would pronounce Corin versus everyone else. Like uh-huh. Cassandra, all the people in the flashback, everybody, it's Corin, Corin, Corin. And he kept saying Karin. Yeah. And it's like, oh, come on, Adrian. Come on. Um, <laughs> it just it like it took me the I watched it twice. And the first time through, it took me a while to figure out exact until it was written out. I'm like, OK, Corin. It is Corin. Um, yeah, but yeah, he just, he's just having fun. He, he, and, mm-hmm. and it's great. You know, you know who Kronos is? Kronos is the thousand, uh, the, like the three or 4,000 year old immortal that peaked in high school. And he's just trying to get back to that. Right. He's that guy. <laughs> yeah. He's the guy that was the, the big bully in high school and mm-hmm. he hasn't had that since he's Biff. He's Biff Tannen yep. of the Highlander world is Kronos and he just wants that back. And and I'll say this, you talked about him hamming it up, and it's interesting that, again, with a show like this, we get this actor with this character, and yes, he's hamming it up, he's chewing up scenery, but he walks right to the edge of being too much. Oh, absolutely. You know, like, there's we've had villains where it's like, yeah, they could have pulled it back a little bit. This time it's like, again, when he's talking to Mythos about it, about how there were, you know, he tried other gangs, they didn't work and stuff, it's like... Yes, he's hamming it up, but he definitely has knowledge of who he is and what he wants to do. And it's yep. not over the line of just cartoonish. Correct. Yeah, I'm I'm totally with you there. Like, it could have been and he could have gone too far, but he, he gets right there. Even with, like, 
he does a little bit of angry acting. He does a little bit of mm-hmm. that yelling, um, but it's the it's used at the right moment in the right way. So yeah, yeah, Valentine Pelka. Um, I'm glad that this is a two part episode and we get more of him because mm-hmm. this character and this performance would have been awful to waste on a single 45 minute episode. Yeah, it really would have. Also, it, I wish we got more of the horsemen in this only because I loved that Richard writings was in this as Silas. And I just remember him from, uh, the Joan of, Joan of Arc movie and just oh, love right. his baritone voice. He's got a we got like a voice. little hint of it in this episode. I was like, oh, I miss that guy. He was so much fun in that movie. Oh. Yeah. Yeah, the, it was... Uh, we only got to meet Silas and Caspian for a very brief moment where they're fighting over mm-hmm. uh, like a something. Yeah, uh, a garment a, or something. A blanket. A blanket that you could easily see had already been scored. We'll, we'll talk mm-hmm. about that in a minute. But yeah, it would have been nice to see uh, a little bit more of them. But, you know. There's another episode, so I think we'll be okay. Yeah. Uh, but yeah, Richard Writings, man, that, that guy's got a voice on him that is just... <laughs> yeah. It's that deep voice, but it's so smooth, too. Mm-hmm. Oh, it's good. So yeah, good uh, good special guest this week. Yeah, absolutely. Um, But hey, we got flashbacks, too. There were three of them. Ooh. Yeah, there were. Comancheros call him El Gato Cat. Say he has nine lives. No, he's just got one. Like everyone else, and like everyone else, he can lose it. So, three flashbacks. Uh, our first one mm-hmm. is almost right off the bat. Uh, it's actually pre-credits. Um, our, our, fla- our first flashback spans the credits, in fact. And yeah. it's set in South Texas in 1867. McLeod's riding with the Texas Rangers. And of course he is. Yeah, because it's Duncan. They're going after Melvin Corrin uh, and his posse. And they head into town after him. They find him. There's a big old shootout. Um, mm-hmm. I liked the, I the love shoot. That, oh, go ahead. I was going to say, I love that they give Mac the, uh, let me do the flip shotgun thing. Oh, yeah. Yep. Uh, so they, they go into town. There's a, It's a great, like, it's it's Texas in the 1800s, and they shoot it like a, a spaghetti western, mm-hmm. which was yep. cool. Like, it had a great look to it. Uh, the costuming was good, and just like, they have this long build up to the shoot to the to confrontation at the corral and they do all mm-hmm. the camera angles and everybody going inside while the marshals are walking down the street. Mm-hmm. And then I appreciate it too, that they did like, they definitely didn't try to completely, um, copy other Westerns. No, you know, they did their, they did it their way. So it, it, it felt right, mm-hmm. but in a great way. Yeah. And then, um, you know, the shootout happens, and the first part of it is very quick. Mm-hmm. It's over with very quickly, but um, Corin, as he's known at this point, who has uh, a big old beard and he's wearing that long duster, is a really good mm-hmm. look. Like, yep. That was mm-hmm. a pretty cool black hat look. He yeah. takes off into a barn. Uh, Duncan goes after him, and they fight in the barn. And it's a pretty good little fight mm-hmm. yeah. where... Uh, Corin gets his sword away from him and then throws both swords and grabs a big old scythe. Mm-hmm. And he's ready to take <laughs> Duncan's head off. But before he can, a little, he gets shot. Uh, but just a little, a little, uh, little tip of the hat to where we're going with Corin. It's like, oh, the good old days. It's like, yeah. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Sure. Um, so he gets shot down before he can take Duncan's head. And mm-hmm. then it just cuts to an empty casket that Corin had Kronos had woken up in, got himself out of, and it's just Duncan walking up to the grave and seeing it and taking the the grave marker out and being like, yeah. "Next time, I'll, I'll I'll get you next time." Oh, um, Melvin! <laughs> it's a it, it's a pretty fun little flashback, though. I like it um, is. I like the use of it, and I like that we set up that Duncan has a history with this guy that he saw. Mm-hmm. What's really cool about that is it's your typical Highlander flashback. And it's setting us up for Duncan taking out this guy, Melvin Corn, that he dealt right. with in the past. Which is cool when they subvert that later and they they spin mm-hmm. it on its head. So then we get our second flashback, which is with Cassandra. And now she yep. is telling us about the Bronze Age and the Four Horsemen. And this one 
is filmically like the the shooting style of it is very similar. Um, I feel like. Mm-hmm. Um, and just FYI to everybody listening who doesn't remember their history at all, the Bronze Age is roughly thirty three hundred to twelve hundred BC. Mm-hmm. So, so it it fits with how old Mythos is. Mm-hmm. Um, and that gives you an idea of how old Kronos and Cassandra are. Yep. So the four horsemen are riding up on a town. This guy is like picking up sticks or something in the desert, um, sort of mm-hmm. desert. They don't say where it is, which yeah. is smart uh, of them. Sure. Cause it they could be just say the bronze age. Yeah. But the four horsemen crest a hill and he sees it. And this guy tries to run away and the four, you know, the horsemen are riding him down. Meanwhile, Cassandra's in her nomad encampment. She's, she's, mm-hmm. She's grown up with a tribe of nomads that found her as a baby and took right. her in, made her, you know, she's learning medicine and healing from the, the healer of the tribe. Mm-hmm. Um, the horsemen come riding in. They, they ride that guy right down, cut him down, ride into the camp, and just start killing everybody. Yep. And it's, uh, I actually liked the way that they shot all of that because it's very chaotic. Yeah. That was my notes too. Like a good scene of them doing the whole slaughtering a camp thing. Like it's very TV appropriate, mm-hmm. but it's still done very well. And chao- like you said, makes it feel very chaotic. It's very chaotic. The costuming for the horsemen is awesome. Mm-hmm. It looks so good. You got a couple of them have like skull masks that they're wearing and different helmet masks that they have on. And they just look super imposing and oh, yep. it's great. Um, and then it ends with uh, Cassandra jumping in front of a sword as they go to kill the healer. Um, but when when Cassandra then confronts Mythos uh, in the dojo and that flashback happens, we get mm-hmm. another view of it, which is the horseman in white riding back to his camp. And he pulls what looks like a sack kind of off the back of the horse and just throws it down and unfurls it. And it's Cassandra inside of that. Mm hmm. Um, and then he takes his mask off and it's mythos. And once again, With like a... great makeup work that they would do for the horsemen because they take their masks off and they have all this face paint on and like mythos mm-hmm. is just half blue. Yeah. And not the best wig, but good face painting. Yeah. I mean, the wigs are, <laughs> meh. um, but mythos, uh, tells her that, uh, her whole tribe is dead, that they killed all of them. Uh, and they even killed her but he brought her back to life because he wished for it. Yep. And that she belongs to him and she will stay alive as long as she pleases him. Um, and she, you know, tries to fight back, but he overpowers her and then tells her, I will kill you as many times as it takes to tame you, which is just like, yeah, gives you the shivers. I mean, this is mythos. This mythos is not a good guy. Um, right. Then we hear a a commotion and he goes over. And it's the two, it's Silas and Caspian fighting over something. Right. Uh, we get a hint that the four horsemen work together, but maybe don't like each other all that much. Because Maybe a couple of them. Caspian and Silas are kind of fighting over stuff, but, but Mythos goes right to Caspian. Mm-hmm. Caspian or Silas? I think it's Caspian. Caspian. And tells him, um, you know, if one of us has to go, I'm going to make sure it's you type of thing so apparently no love lost between those two um Mm -hmm. you were you were about to say something i cut you off i'm sorry well i was just gonna say like it's really interesting in these flashbacks we've talked about how good and we'll talk about it later too but just how good peter wingfield is as mythos and it's really interesting to see how well he carries being a totally different person in these flashbacks Mm -hmm. oh yeah so that was really interesting to see that and like immediately just the way he carried himself and the way he said his lines you there wasn't any question like, oh, he's a different person right here. Yeah. Like, this and is a different f- mythos. And at first, you can almost, if they had shown this flashback before the scene with Kronos and Mythos, mm-hmm. um, you could have bought it as Cassandra telling the story, how she remembered it, kind of a Rashomon mm-hmm. type of thing. Um, right. But we've, we've seen that Mythos met with Kronos and they had their talk. So now we know he was one of the horsemen. So we kind of have to believe her when she's telling us this. Mm -hmm. Um, Yeah. Yeah. I really just, and then when, when, uh, when Kronos comes up and he stops the, the bickering and the fighting, cause he's clearly the leader. 
is Kronos. Right. Um, and he, he pulls up the sword and has them hold up the sheet that they were fighting over, like the just... They're fighting over a piece of burlap is what it looked like. Mm-hmm. But he cuts it in half. And again, like from a production standpoint, you could see the score lines. So right. It was funny to me. But then he says, we share everything. That's an important line that mm-hmm. they don't make a big deal about. But that's important um, for later on. We'll, we'll talk about probably next week. Uh, but, yeah. But overall, like these Bronze Age flashbacks... Look, are they historically accurate? No. Yeah. I don't I don't buy that there were any there was anybody with armor like that at that stage. Um you know, they they do a lot of the shooting from a low angle up so you see mostly sky which helps to kind of mm-hmm. mask where they are because of where they were shooting right. it. Um interestingly though, the Bronze Age flashbacks were actually shot by um directed by Adrian Paul. Oh, nice. Um, he directed those because he was, they shot them while they were shooting the fo- this following episode, Revelation 6-8, that we'll talk about next week because he directed that mm-hmm. episode. Ooh, okay. And rather than having the whole crew go back uh, somewhere else to shoot those, he just directed the, the flashbacks for this episode. So I thought that was kind of cool. Yeah, that's very cool. But I really liked where the flashbacks in this episode were used in a traditional Highlander manner to start and then Mm -hmm. quickly spun all that on its head and gave us all new information. And, but it doesn't negate what we learned before. Oh yeah. Well, it's interesting because like the first flashback is traditional. This is your typical Highlander flashback. Mm -hmm. The other two were more, these are me telling a story kind of flashback, which we don't get very often, but these were very specific for the story that Cassandra was telling us. Yeah. Um, which made them that much more interesting. They they are, and they expand on story and character without negating what we've already learned, and it, it now right. sets us up for something different in this episode. Mm-hmm. We went from, oh, okay, normal, bad immortal shows up, oh, Cassandra's here, cool, blah, 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 and then all of a sudden, oh, wait, hold on. No, 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 we're going in a totally different direction now. Yeah. And, so and really again, like, I love, I keep mentioning this line because I love the way it tied everything together when Kronos is talking to Mythos and he's like, I've had other groups, I've had other gangs, none of them came close yep. to the four horsemen. Like, they just weren't the same stuff. Mm-hmm. That's why I'm coming for you. Yeah. That's why I need you to be with me so that we can start this up again the way it should be. Yeah. Yeah. It's, it's great use of the flashbacks as a storytelling device mm-hmm. uh, in a way that we haven't really used them before. Yeah. Or at least in a, in a newer way. So I really liked that. It's just, just good flashbacks. Yeah. Um, but uh, we got to talk about Joe and Mythos because, well, we got to talk about Joe and Mythos. Yeah, we do. Well, who the hell is Chubby Checker in the grand scheme of things anyway? I mean, I... I know how tall Nero was. I know Caesar's favorite food. I know Helen of Troy didn't have that great a face and it only launched a hundred ships, not a thousand. Blah, 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 blah. Fine. All right, so uh, Joe's here. Um, Joe has some actually really cool moments in this. There's not a lot. Like, he's Mm -hmm. not on screen a ton. Right. But he's, it. again, we've talked about it a lot. Like, we like that they just have him in and out. And you don't have to, Mm -hmm. it doesn't have to be a Joe-centered episode for him to show up. Um, but it's also like, it just, it makes the world feel more lived in when they can just go to the bar and talk to him or he just, Duncan can just like, just chat with him. Well, Joe is established enough that we don't need a whole lot of Joe if it's not specifically about him. Yeah. Or the watchers. So when he comes in, right. So when he comes in and says something, usually it's something that it's just a few lines, but is immensely powerful to whatever they're doing. Yeah. And I like the the mini arc that Joe goes through in this, which is like, he, he doesn't really believe in the whole four horsemen at the start of it. And it's cool to Mm -hmm. see, you know, the historian, the guy that does this stuff for a living being like, come on, come on guys. That's a myth. That's legend. That's not real. Mm -hmm. Meanwhile, Joe ought to be like, Oh yeah, I guess that could be real. That makes sense. Right. He's like, actually, now that I think about it, so so that was cool. And then for him to show up, you know, so so 
Duncan talks to him with Cassandra, then Duncan talks to him by himself, and that's where Joe's mm-hmm. like, come on, really? The mythos that we know, do you think he's capable of any of this? Like, he's, he's being McLeod's conscience in a way. Right. And kind of talking him down, because Duncan is, is like, I'm believing him, uh, Cassandra. And there's a great line where, you know, Joe's like, well, what if she's lying what, or, or doesn't remember correctly? Like, how well do you know her? And Duncan comes right back with, how well do I know Mythos? Right. And all Joe can the tell guy me. Who's, like, the guy who has a history of hiding. Yeah. Of manipulating. Like, yeah. how long he, was it before they figured him out? Yeah, he lied how his way into the Watchers. How long was he in there with the Watchers? Yep. And how does that not <laughs> affect Joe's opinion at all? Exactly. And, but then Joe, Joe does have the great line of like, look, sometimes you just got to trust your gut. You yeah. just have to go with your gut on this. And his gut tells him Mythos is a good guy. Right. So, yeah. And then, and then when Duncan comes back to him and basically tells him, look, Mythos told me all of this is true. It all happened. Mm-hmm. For then, then for Joe still trying to reconcile that with the mythos that he knows that he's become friends with well that conversation i think was the most interesting with joe for me because duncan's like he admitted it you know he talked about they killed women and children you live with that and joe's like yes (laughs) i was in vietnam dude it happened we didn't know where our bullets were going sometimes because we were ordered to just do stuff. Yep. And it's like, holy crap, that kind of perspective from somebody who's even not immortal, but just being like, dude, sometimes there is wrong stuff in this world. And sometimes you're on the other side of that, making it happen. And you have to figure out how to live with that in whatever way you can. Mm-hmm. Now, Duncan comes back with like, this is different. And Joe's like, how? It's like, because he loved it. And I'm still like, I think Joe is still on the side of, okay, he loved it back then, but he is not that same person. Like, Joe's the one who I feel like has, like, thought about it enough that he's just like, that mythos may have been that mythos, but I don't think he's that mythos anymore, and Duncan just can't reconcile that. Yeah, and you would think that those roles would be reversed, that the younger human, the mortal person would, would only know... Or, you know, mm-hmm. they wouldn't be able to deal with that, whereas Duncan would have seen people change and evolve over time. But Duncan has this this rock-solid morality to him, this compass of his own, his own code. That Which, when you think about all the times, Mythos chastises him for that morality. Yep. Oh, <laughs> and yeah. where that comes from. Uh-huh. Yeah, it, it gives you a new perspective on anything that he has said previously. And to Joe's credit, like... All he knows of Mythos is what he's learned as he's become friends with him and as they've talked and all mm-hmm. of this. And now he's trying to put this together with the stories from somebody he's never met until that day right. telling him, oh, no, the guy, your friend, this guy that you know that's, that's gone to bat for you, that's helped you out, he's actually a murdering psychopath killer guy. And it's like that would be really difficult to, to piece together in your head. Mm-hmm. You know, it's... It, 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 it just I, I can't even put myself in that situation to really like fully grasp it from a character standpoint right. because mm-hmm. it just it would completely like blindside you. So yeah. Joe doesn't condone what's happened, but he's trying to understand. And yep. he does believe that people I think that people can change. And I think Duncan does deep down, but like there's something about yeah. being told that somebody enjoyed what they were doing. And for Duncan, that's that's a bridge too far. Right, and for him, it's too much of a open wound yes. right now. Learning this kind of information about somebody who he thought was his friend and was, you know, an okay guy. I don't think Duncan had any illusions about what kind of person Mythos is right now. Um, but finding out that he was that kind of person, yeah, feels raw for Duncan. It seems. And look, Mythos. I mean, the story is turns into being about him, and. Mm-hmm. For it to go the way that it did, because we've had a couple of stories with him recently, and we're getting to know mm-hmm. a little bit more about him, and he's always very shy, right? Like last week's episode when um, Ingrid showed up and they felt her immortal presence, what was his his immediate reaction was just like, I'm out. I'm getting out of here. Yep. I don't want to deal with other immortals. Now we can mm-hmm. think about maybe he's constantly thinking, you know, somebody like Cassandra is going to come out of nowhere. 
these these ghosts right. from his past are going to show up. On top or, of him being five thousand years old and everybody wanting his head just for that, right? And it, I I was thinking about it too when um, Kronos was first meeting with him in the warehouse. It's like I heard rumors, so I came looking and I'm like, "You stupid messenger! You led Kronos right to him." Yeah, <laughs> like from a couple of episodes ago. Mm-hmm. Oh so yeah, it was just like, yeah. Yeah, that, this is where that whole situation led to this because he's like, I heard rumors about this, you know, the world's oldest man. It's like, yeah, that wasn't actual mythos throwing that out there. That was the messenger. Yep. Thanks, messenger. And that's a cool way to tie these. Again, it makes the world feel real and lived in because now we're tying. Yep. You don't have to have seen that episode of the messen- uh, the messenger to get that. But mm-hmm. if you've watched it, it just gives you a little more. It's that extra depth. Right, exactly. And what I really like is having a character like Mythos going through this. We're learning about him. And look, most of the time in storytelling, you get the good falls bad, right? Mm-hmm. And in this show, what we usually get are either they've been bad forever or they were once a friend of Duncan's or a, a decent acquaintance and they've broken bad. And he has to deal with that. Um, It's always what it's been. And to go in the opposite direction is really interesting and much harder as an audience to accept. Right. To learn that this character of Mythos that we love, that we've grown to love and that's popular and that we really like and we love his quips and all of this. And he's been, while he's always been somewhat uh, enigmatic, like he's always had Duncan's back. Mm-hmm. And then we learn that he was just the worst person possible for who knows how long. We just don't know that about him. And and when you think about it, over the course of 5,000 years, think about the, the average lifespan of a human. 70-something years, right? We'll call mm-hmm. it, we'll just say an average of 75 years. But of those 75 years... You probably have 50 to 60 where you really can affect anything outside of yourself. Right. You know, because your first few years, you're just solely dependent on other people to keep you from dying. And odds are, if you reach 75 and older, most likely you're going to be dependent on other people to keep you from dying. Um, (laughs) So it's that middle bit. So he has had 100 times that amount of life. Mm-hmm. And that's as far back as he can remember. So, you know, it's one of those things where he says in the in the first episode he was in, he talks about 5,000 years ago being when he took his first head. But how long had he been immortal before that? We don't know. Right. So to live that long, it makes perfect sense that you would go through these ups and downs, ebbs and flows of just different personalities and different things and... I, I can completely buy that somebody would go, like, he calls it his uh, angsty teenage years at one point. <laughs> yeah. Um, and it, it, it really works. And I think that a character as old as him and somebody who is a survivor, right? And that's the big thing with Mythos is he is a survivor. He will do whatever he needs to to keep living. Mm-hmm. And if that means going around pillaging and burning everything to the ground and killing everybody okay, that's what he's going to do. That's going to help him survive. Right. And that's going to keep him going day to day. And, you know, that's just what he did. So, like, it, it, but it's it's very interesting because now we have to look at this character that we like and see him as a bad guy that's become good. And how do you reconcile mm-hmm. that? And how do you, how do you let go of the bad things that he did? What's the statute of limitations on how long you can hold that against him or not? Uh, so it's, you know, it's the whole never meet your heroes because you don't know what their past is going to be like or how they're going to act. Right. It's that on a grander scale on this longer scale. And it just mm-hmm. starts to, it starts to get the wheels in my head turning of all these questions and things that I want to oh, like, yeah. figure out. And just wanting to look back at the p- previous episodes of with mythos in it and try to see what kind of hints may have been there. And I mean, I don't know if, do we know how much they knew ahead of time when they first wrote Mythos about well, them taking the character this way? I know that the character was initially a one-episode character. He was supposed to be in that first episode and get killed off at the end of it and be done. 
but he was okay. Or or he was supposed to be in a one episode and then come back in another one and get killed off, something like that. Like he wasn't supposed to make okay. it past season three, but he was so popular in that first episode that they ended up changing the ending to the season and keeping him alive and then bringing him back. So I don't. At first, no, they had no idea they were going to do this. I'm I'm quite certain. But it does make you wonder at what point did they start to go down this path or at least plant the seeds of the idea that they mm-hmm. could do this. But also, like, you're right, it makes you go back and look at what's happened previously. And it's sort of that hindsight is twenty twenty. Like, they may not have right. written some of those lines and some of those moments to indicate that, but they're ambiguous enough that now you can go back and you can fill in those blanks and you can you can add more more substance to the character now. Mm-hmm. It definitely feels like they wrote the character the way they did to just kind of be like, okay, at some point we're going to tell an origin for him. Not sure which way we want to go with him, so let's definitely keep that ambiguity with the character for now. Yes. And I think they did a great job of doing that and eventually oh, you know, coming to this kind of origin just incredible yeah and it's and it's peter wingfield just nailing it too like right those scenes in the flashback they're not very long but he is menacing he is a different he is not the mythos that we have met mm-hmm. at yep. all and then to have the confrontation scene outside the apartment building you get flashes of that old mythos from those flashbacks in with the one that we already know and then it gets you thinking, well, wait a minute. We've seen Mythos kind of push back on Kronos a little bit. Mm-hmm. So we know Mythos is the, the ultimate survivor. Is he playing a long game on Duncan? Like, is he telling Duncan this and telling him it in that way to push Duncan away? Like... What exactly is his right. end game? We don't know, yeah. and that's the cool thing about Mythos is we don't know at this point what is going to happen and how it's going mm-hmm. to happen. But they have that confrontation, and then for the next time we see him, to him being like, I'm going to get Cassandra out of here, and he doesn't do... All he does is remove her from the playing field because he's trying to get everyone away from Kronos. He's, he's got some... He's playing some chess. He's moving pieces around the yeah, board. Yeah, he is that we don't know yet. And that's the the other really cool thing about Mythos is you don't live for 5,000 years without knowing something, you know? Mm-hmm. Is he the best swordsman? No, but he'll put himself in situations where he doesn't have to be, that he can defeat somebody anyway. Um, yeah. And so it's just cool to see all his machinations and all his, like, putting things in place and that whole thing where there's Duncan and Kronos fighting and he's just sitting back like lobbing Molotov cocktails and getting the fire going so that he can mm-hmm. pull the fire alarm and get both of them out of there. Yep. Like, it's just awesome. I it's and yeah. again, just more more Peter Wingfield in general and Mythos in in particular. Just give me Absolutely. <laughs> Especially like Mr. Conniving, I've got a plan Mythos. Like that's the best Seeing him have a plan, you have no idea what his in-game is, but he's, you know, taking out Cassandra, separating Duncan and Kronos, talking to Kronos later about it, like, oh, hey, guess what? I got something else for you. It's yeah. just like, dang. Mythos. And, and it just makes for a really interesting character that you want to find out more about. Like, you want to yep. know now, well, what is he capable of? Because now we've seen extremes. We've seen him be the meek, you know, as soon as he feels another immortal, boom, I'm out. To mm-hmm. we've seen him in the past where he was just like, I'm death on a horse. Y- y'all are going to kneel in front of me. You belong right. to me. Like we've seen both of those. He's capable of so much. And so I just, I just love diving into that. Mm-hmm. I killed, but I didn't just kill 50. I didn't kill a hundred. I killed a thousand. I killed 10,000. And I was good at it. So the fights in this are pretty good. Um, mm-hmm. Nothing like groundbreaking, but I, yeah. I would say better than we've had for a couple of episodes. Mm-hmm. And I think some of that is Valentin Pelka, I feel like, is got some stunt background or at least some sword fighting background. He seems very comfortable. Yeah, there doesn't seem to be much cutting away to a stunt guy doing his sword fighting. Nope, not at all. Uh, and I like that, you know, plus his sword might be my favorite sword of the season. Like that thing's just cool looking. 
and he utilizes yeah. it. He utilizes that cross guard yeah. and the, the extra bits coming off the blade at the bottom of it. He utilizes mm-hmm. that to parry and then disarm his opponent. It's a yeah. very, it's a very uh, interesting weapon in that way. Because it's one of those swords like that you just are think, oh, your typical fantasy kind of sword with all these bits and pieces, and then he's actually using it Mm -hmm. as somebody would who would know that sword. Like, okay, now I'm impressed. Yeah, he has a a way of like he lets people get in close, disarm them, and then he can take them out Mm -hmm. because he does it to Cassandra, he does it to Duncan. Um, Yep. Which is why at first I thought it was the first time through I thought it was silly that he threw the swords away. But then for him to grab that big scythe and it's like, <laughs> okay, now I get it. That's that's actually pretty yeah. cool. Like that's a pretty power move on his part. You know, it's a, right. it's a bit because of a you flex. know he wa- you know he walked into the barn. He saw the scythe before Duncan came in. Oh yeah. So he was like, I'm ready for this when and if I need it. Yep. Um, and then the Cassandra fight is short and there's not much to it, which is fine. But what I liked about it was her trying to use her magic because. If you're yeah. just if you're just watching this, I I had forgotten that it was Cassandra at first uh, in this episode. So when she showed up, I was like, "Oh, that's right, she's the witch from the first part of the season." Mm-hmm. And then they don't mention that really at all until she starts fighting yeah. with Kronos, and then she starts doing the whole "Your sword is getting really heavy. You don't want to fight me." And I'm like, "Oh, that's right. That's her thing. That mm-hmm. was her thing was to like to to disarm them that she way." Taught- she taught this other guy who confronted Duncan and pulled all those tricks on Duncan. Mm-hmm. And and we're here with Kronos. He's like, yeah, that doesn't work on me. I'm too strong for your Jedi mind tricks. And what I love too is we don't need an explanation. He's just like, eh, stop. It's not, it's not right. doing anything. Because at this point, knowing how old both of them are, I think that's why no explanation is needed. It's mm-hmm. like, you know, whatever power she has... He's been around longer and has probably seen those powers and knows how to not be intimidated or, or you know, whatever by them. The same way she taught Duncan to kind of blow him off, too. Yep. Yeah, absolutely. It's a, it's great to see, like, it's hand-waving, but it doesn't, it feels earned. It's earned mm-hmm. hand-waving because of who the character is. Sure. And then Duncan and Kronos again fighting um, in the warehouse. And it's that same kind of claustrophobic contained space. And mm-hmm. they've got to fight while all this fire is starting to go around them. And what I liked about that was as their fight evolved, the fire became more and more around them. Yep. Like the continuity of that was done well because mm-hmm. there would be first there's none. And then you see one little spot of fire behind them. And then we get a cutaway to Mythos lighting something else. And then there's a little more fire and you see it slowly working its way over before it finally like goes in between the two of them and creates the wall and separates. Them. Right. I just, I really, I dug that. And it was really interesting because at no point did I think Duncan was going to lose this fight at all. Like they don't make it seem like he's weaker or less no, than Kronos. So it's like, dang it, Mythos, why are you getting in the middle of this kind of right. thing? You know. Yeah. So that was interesting the way they played that because Duncan's just like, I'm done. I'm ready. Let's end you. Yes, we had very angry Duncan at this point. Mm-hmm. Um, look, this is just. A great episode. This is one of the top episodes of this series, let alone season. Mm-hmm. Um, its IMDb rating is an 8.7, which Dang. is I'm pretty sure the highest rated one we've had yet. Um, nice. And it's just, it's fantastically paced. It's great because it yeah. starts off feeling like your typical episode and then it takes a turn. Mm-hmm. And it's kind of also what we have been clamoring about for so long, which is give us some two part episodes, some longer stories Yeah, because this is like the perfect length to tell what they were doing and to, to, to give us a traditional setup and then spin that out and go in a different direction end us on a cliffhanger and everything kind of gets chance to breathe and marinate a little bit and we get a little bit more time with it all. Because they packed a lot into this episode. Like, it was still your typical runtime, but they packed a lot in here, and it did not feel overstuffed. No, it's not. And because they had, they packed a lot in, but they did it with limited characters, right? Mm -hmm. Not having Richie makes sense. He's off on his his journey, 
and right. he doesn't need to be here, and so we don't have that mucking things up. Joe is there, but he's on the sidelines because he doesn't really know anything about the horsemen, um, and so he, if anything, you can explain it away in your mind is like, well, he's doing some research trying to find out more to help Duncan. So it's really, mm-hmm. it's really Duncan, it's Mythos, and then it's Cassandra and Kronos. So it's four characters, and to dedicate an entire episode to a story that doesn't have a resolution yet means you can really let that stuff breathe and you can give us more Mm -hmm. and packing in all this extra backstory and, and filling in so much about mythos, especially because again, that, that moment with him and Duncan where Duncan's like pushes him up against the car and it's like, is it true what happened? And him finally just having that snap and it's like, it is. And it's so well delivered because you see Duncan break. Right. And so it's just a great moment of of character work between the two of them to see Duncan literally break as his his image of Mythos is shattered in front of him as Mythos is just like and he's doing it with a smile and a cackle and he's yeah. he's almost reveling in what he had. Again, is it a long game? You know, we're right. going to find out, but it's like he also is purely enjoying it. And so it was just such uh, it, that that is a scene that I always will remember of this show. Mm-hmm. And it's just, again, them bringing so many things together in this episode the way they did, like bringing Mythos's story and origin into this, bringing Cassandra's origin story. Yep. I don't know why I have such a hard time saying her freaking name, but <laughs> my brain just farts when I try to say Cassandra. But um, like, and the fact that their origin is kind of tied together, mm-hmm. that Mythos's origin is this person who he was is tied to Cassandra's origin as an immortal. And it's just one of those things where we talk about how much potential there is to do with this kind of show and with the, you know, immortals around the world. And this is the one where they really tied so many things together in such a great way. It's just, it's no wonder why it's got such a high rating on IMDb. It's why we're gushing over it. Yeah. Yeah. And it's, it's also really cool to see the show expand its storytelling and go away mm-hmm. from the trope of a good person breaking bad. Now let's look at somebody who went through a horrific period of stuff that they just enjoyed doing because it was fun for them mm-hmm. to reconcile that with something, you know, we've already met this character. It's, it would be like, you know, going three movies in like the Rocky franchise with Rocky and we're building him up. We're making him this really honorable, noble character. And then Rocky four has him as a kid, like bullying people and torturing animals and stuff like that. And now you've got a, mm-hmm. and, and when I say kid, I'm talking like late teens, early twenties type kid sure. doing these things mm-hmm. where now it's like, Whoa, it's, it totally changes your views on this character completely. Mm-hmm. And you've got to try and, and incorporate that into what you know. And it's like it's just not a literary uh, device. It's not a storytelling device we see very often because right. it's much more challenging to your audience. Mm-hmm. And it has you to know, be done right. It's funny. The closest thing I can think of this being similar to is going to Dragon Ball Z and the way they handled Vegeta. Yeah. He was super bad guy at the beginning. And then we see him evolve to the good guy. It's interesting that we pick up in the middle of Mythos being the good guy that we think he is, and then finding out he was super bad guy back then. And then at the end of this episode, we're not sure which way he's going. And that to me is what makes it more interesting. Like Vegeta isn't a bad comparison, but Vegeta we get to see evolve. We mm-hmm. we go from right. like normally what we see is either good guy slowly evolves to bad or we see the bad guy slowly, we meet him that way, or her, we meet that person that way, and they evolve into the good one. This one, Mm -hmm. what I like about it, and what's more challenging, is we're meeting the good person. Yep. And then we find out that they're not that great a person, or they weren't, I think is a better way to put it. Um, But again, in a way that doesn't feel cheap either. Right. Mm -hmm. Because it's not an easy thing to do. And then now we have to incorporate those two things, but we also know this guy's a survivor. So like, what's he doing now? Is he actually falling right. back into that way? Or is he playing something against, like what's he doing? We don't know. Mm-hmm. And now 
because we know he's a survivor, we know he's going to do whatever it takes, and we know what he's capable of, we don't know what direction he's going to go in and how right. it's going to end. And that and not only can be really We've known him as a survivor mm-hmm. throughout the show. But when Chrono shoves, shows up and then says, you've always been the survivor. Yeah. Like, that just solidifies that, like, more than anything, that is who Mythos is. Yep. Yeah. Oh, it's so good. This is just, it's a great episode. And next week is going to be uh, another great episode to back it up. We get the conclusion of this story. It's uh, yep. episode 12, Revelation 6-8. And uh, directed by Adrian Paul. Uh, I'd like to mention again. Uh, I'm looking forward nice. to it. It's going to be great. And, uh, yeah, you know, it's just, it's, it's so great to get to these meaty episodes. Um, and, uh, it's just the stuff that I've been waiting for since we started this show to get mm-hmm. to this point right here. <laughs> it's almost surprising to find it in season five. Like for some reason in my head, I thought it was earlier. Like I thought we got to this stuff earlier and then there's other stuff after it. And I was like, dang, it yeah. took us a while to get here. And I'm okay with that. Like, it's like, oh, okay, I see this journey now. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it's it's been a, you know, the show has had its ups and downs. When it's good, it's really good. When it's bad, yeah, it's pretty bad. But but for the most part, it's been kind of this steady increase in quality. And it's the testament and it's the advantage to having a syndicated show um, at the time where you could just order the full season and you're going to get to produce that full season. It's not like a network mm-hmm. show where you could cancel midway. Right. The syndicated shows, they get bought by season. So, you know, you have that opportunity and they were able to to survive long enough through their growing pains to get to the point where they're consistently telling good stories in 4 and 5. Yeah. And we're we're lucky that we got there. So, mm-hmm. so it's really really cool. For sure. Um so yeah, next week is episode 12. So if you enjoy this show, uh you want to hang out with us while we record it live, you can do that. Uh, typically, it's Tuesday nights, uh, 9 p.m. Eastern time at twitch.tv slash Travis. But you're probably listening to this as a podcast, and every Thursday, it's the feeds, and you can get that anywhere you get podcasts. Just search for Let's Watch Highlander. Um, mm-hmm. And you can see Audie's amazing artwork there and uh, doing uh, special artwork per episode, plus the great uh, cover art of you and I back-to-back swords in hand. I love that. Yep. I still, every time I see that, it makes me smile. Um, so, yeah, uh, we're available anywhere. And uh, I am on Twitter at TV's Travis, um, and I love to talk Highlander or movies, or I was having a conversation earlier tonight about uh, video games. There's new Silent Hill games coming. And uh, then it was the, the conversation went to, like, Konami and Metal Gear <laughs> and, yeah. you know, all that kind of stuff. So I love talking games, movies, um Music, whatever. But that's me on, on Twitter, at TV's Travis. Audie, you're on Twitter as well. Yep, I'm at the Audie Norman, and I love chatting it up about all the nerdy stuff too. Movies, TV, video games, comic books, bring it. Plus your art uh, there and on Instagram as well. You're the mm-hmm. Audie Norman on Instagram too, right? Yes. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And uh, definitely check out the art because that's awesome. Um, uh, your Ink Willow stuff has been great. Your, your it's been fun. Like, definitely didn't plan on doing it until they said, "Hey, we're <laughs> gonna have some uh, stuff for you." I was like, "Oh, yeah, okay." It's, it's really, really fun. Uh, so come on back next week for mm-hmm. uh, for episode twelve, Revelation six eight. I can't wait for it. It'll be great. Mm-hmm. Uh, so for Audie, I'm Travis, and remember that there can be only one set of four horsemen. Melvin. Diamond Club hopes you have enjoyed this program. <laughs>